Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. That would be Paul Bremer announcing Iraq. And everybody is cheering. When did we start cheering about people being murdered? So, there is a lot to unpack here today. And I would have crawled to the microphone for this one. We got them, kids. We got them. Who hates black people? Just put your thinking caps on for just a couple of seconds here. Who locks all the black men up in prison? Huh. Who lied about blacks being slaves? Huh. Couldn't be these people, could it? But before I get started, um, this is going to be, well, let me get focused here. In the last show, I was starting to describe some of my symptoms, and then I cut myself off. Well, I didn't cut myself off. I keep getting cut off. But anyway, it's just because I move and I, one little flick and the recorder goes off. But anyway, not a big deal. But um, what happens in this is that uh, it's the exact same things that happen in Japan and different places. When you get hit with nuclear, what happens is it goes after all of your soft tissues. What that means is that it goes inside of you. And that's why it makes it such a silent, deadly killer. So... At this stage, it is inside of me, okay? It's got my organs, and it's got everybody's organs. The dog, the cats, everybody's organs are being attacked. And I'm about, I have about 10% of my hair left, so complete baldness and organs are the final stages. So yes, we are in the final stages, but you know what? We're troopers around here. <laughs> and you know, I started off with Malta, M-A-L-T-A, and I am back at Malta. <laughs> So, this is why I just listen in silence to what's going on. So, before I get started today, let me talk for a second about the French. Um, in France, because today's show is actually going to be about the French. The French, New Orleans, that dicks money, all that stuff is going to be talking about today. Where did we get the idea that blacks are nothing but a bunch of black people that should be considered slaves? Well, we got that idea from these people. But before I get started here, um, there are several things going on in France from what I can tell. One is that, you know, their pension plans are being taken away, right? They're trying to, they're trying to change the date of retirement from 62 to 64. <laughs> this country, they're trying to push it to 70 and the crowd remains silent, right? Speaking of 70, in, I believe this is all done by numbers and stuff, right? And I, I even believe that there's some method to our own birth dates and stuff. Um, what exactly that is? Well, I spent a few years living in Sedona. Those people could try to tell you what it is, but that whole thing is a freak show, okay? <laughs> but <laughs> most people were surprised that I didn't go to Sedona and just love it there. No, I actually, no. Anyway, so um, I like to deal in reality, okay? Okay, so here's the thing. There was a pretty funny tweet that came out, and it said, BlackRock, our friends at BlackRock, right? Black, white. Why do you think they live in the White House? Just think about it. In this country, we have a White House. We don't have a Black House. We have a White House, okay? Anyways, there was this tweet that said, uh, BlackRock said, Let's just take these toxic mortgage, ba mor 
mortgage-backed securities that are about to crash and sell them to the pension fund for French railway workers that we just happened to manage. And the French railway workers responded by blowing that whole city up. That's how it should work, kids. That's how it should work, okay? So yeah, how it works is this, and I didn't know any of this stuff until the last few years, is that they go out, they make these loans, then they bundle these loans and sell these loans to other banks and stuff. So it's really a matter of chase, okay? So it's a matter of can your bank convince this other bank to buy all these toxic assets? And that's what blew down 2008. So we're here again. So, and I'd like to point out that it appears like just about everybody on social media is pushing toward gold. <laughs> They're saying things like, oh look, the central banks are all buying gold. You should buy gold too. Oh look, you worried about gold in your retirement account? You should go put her over here. Yeah, they're telling people to put their gold from their retirement. No, they're telling them to put money from their retirement to get to get rid of the BlackRock people, okay? Because BlackRock people are going around and making all pension funds toxic right now, okay? That's, that's what's going on. So, so they're going around telling everybody to buy gold. <clears throat> well, I've already talked enough about gold. I'm not going to re we go there again. It's a filthy, dirty business run by the Swiss. So you want to believe in gold? Well, where's most of the gold being run out of? Delaware. <laughs> Who's in Delaware? Most major crooked U.S. corporations incorporate in Delaware. They do it for a purpose, okay? Joe Biden is from Delaware. Joe Biden also has a... I hate to break it to your French people, but Joe Biden is one of your people, okay? <laughs> because Joe Biden comes from a French aristocratic family. Now, I don't know who, what royal people are playing Biden. I'm not really that interested, but Joe Biden, I found it, oh, I don't know, a year or two ago when I was, I can't get rid of New Orleans, right? Louisiana, I'm back again, right? Well, Biden has a French nobility shield that I ran across. Okay, they're pushing this gold to go to Delaware. What they're saying is, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Take it out of your retirement account, ship it to these people in Delaware, and they'll keep it in their safe. They'll keep it in their safe, safe for you. Which reminds me, two things I want to get done before I go. Today's show, which is, I would have to say, today's show is the most significant show that I have ever recorded. Okay. This puts a bow on a lot of it. But there's another show which is equally as significant, and that is about the letter S. S, S, S. Hear that hissing sound? S, S, snakes, S, snakes. Hear that hissing sound? Well, that has to do with the Garden of Eden, that snake, Eve, Isis, and all that stuff. Yeah, it all wraps up in a bow. But first, let's get to the part about the black hatred in this country. How did this country become such a country of racists? Well, because that's how we were programmed. And I mean we in the general sense, not hopefully not including myself, but in a general sense, I believe the United States is a very racist country. If you just go on the facts and stick with the facts, okay? We lock up all these people. Most of the people getting locked up are black. Talk enough about all this stuff. Okay, so where did we get these ideas about these black people? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we got them from these people. And a few years ago, I was talking about Malta, M-A-L-T-A, Malta. Just can't get that thing out of my mind, okay? 
the Knights of Malta. Okay, so I'm going to do a little recap here, okay? And then you'll see how this will make sense in a bit here. The Knights of Malta are a Roman Catholic order that has been around. Now, now these dates, I'm not saying I agree with these dates. I'm just giving you the his story, okay? Because this Knights of Malta ties every little piece of this together, okay? So they've been around since the 11th century. They are divided into three classes and members, and members are expected to conduct their lives in an exemplary manner <clears throat> in conformity, in conformity with the teachings and percepts, precepts of the Catholic Church and to devote themselves to the assistance activities of the order. Because what happened was, during the days of the Ku Klux Klan in this country, let me try to unpack this, okay, we have this group called the Ku Klux Klan. You notice their name starts with a K, okay? Ku Klux Klan, okay? Also known as, I'll be referring to them as either the Klan or the KKK, okay? So, I ran into another group from Malta involved with the KKK. <laughs> so, I've been revisiting Malta, okay? Because there is this group called the Sons of Malta. And it is a fraternal organization that was founded in New York City in 1858, okay? And this organization was short-lived and did not completely disappear immediately after articles. So in the New York Illustrated Weekly, an article came up about these people in 1958, okay? called the Sons of Malta, and they just kind of flew off the map, and I just chased it. I, I could not find these people for the life of me, okay? So they were only a little tiny segment here of the Sons of Malta, right? That kind of threw me off track for a while. <laughs> so I'm going to be reading from this piece. America and the KKK was hardly something new in that regard, having a healthy tradition to be drawn on. Secret handshakes and grandiose titles were hallmarks of earlier movements, too. All these handshakes, all these little symbols, you know, the Masonic symbols, the G letter, all this kind of stuff. And what you'll start to pay attention here is a lot of these titles that were developed for these Illuminatis, as they refer to them, right, or the elites, or the Freemasons, or whoever they call themselves, right, a lot of these titles seem to be the same titles that were used for the KKK. <laughs> like I keep saying, this is a cut and paste operation if there ever was one. Okay, so, so they said America had um, secret handshakes um, such as the know-nothings who had styled their leadership, things like Grand Chiefs, Grand Sashams, and of course, the Freemasons and their various titles as well. So, let's scroll down here a little bit and see. To start, the name of the clan itself is quite straightforward. They said there was a meeting held, likely, in June of 1866. Oh, now that we're on dates, let me back up here. So yes, I think there is something to all these dates because in two weeks, I will be 72 years old. That would make me a nine, okay? I think I'm, I'm going to be dead about the time that I become a nine, because that gives me three threes. And I was born on April the 27th, 
1951. In April, 4 is a death number, right? 4D. Um, I've also got D's in my name. Uh, anyway, so there's a lot to all these numbers and when we come in and exit this game board, okay? Because interestingly enough, and this is going to make no sense at all, but the game board Monopoly was formed, came out in 1933, the same year we were um, <laughs> declared enemies of the state. So, okay, so we have the Sons of Malta. Brief appearance, 1858, okay? So uh, the name came from June 1866. And um, several possibilities. The first name was Kuklos, K-U-K-L-O-S. And that came from the Greek world, Greek word for circle. This turned to Ku Klux and Klan was spelled with a K because even diehard racists can't resist the appeal of the alliteration. Alliteration is using a word that buzzes with the other words. Again, this harks back to the fraternal traditions that were once rooted in. Even the term itself, circle, needs to be considered in the context of the Knights of the Golden Circle, a pre-war organization which is often seen as a precursor and were compared to the Klan's early days. Now, just so you're clear, in the past I talked about the Klan, okay? And my understanding at the time, was still my same understanding, was that when they supposedly had the um, amendment to free the slaves and stuff, um, well, they put a clause in there that they were free unless there were certain circumstances, right? That's how they were able to now lock them up in prisons because they're really not free, right? So, um, so anyway, so the early group was called the Golden Circle, okay? But you'll notice these names, okay? The clan was a little different in its adoptive titles with Grand Wizard, where have we heard the name wizard before, right? Followed by the Grand Dragon. We have all these dragon symbols all over the place. Grand Titan. We have Titan from all these freaks with Saturn. And Grand Cyclops. Cyclops means one eye. That person that they worship with the one eye. So they gave those same names <laughs> to the Ku Klux Klan, okay? Along with the exact same looking logo. But I'll get to that in a minute. So they said that the, the exact genesis is hard to pick, but I just focus on the titles, okay? The titles give us the clues. And also, it's a pretty big clue when they make their flag a red flag with white <laughs> with a drop of blood in it, okay? <laughs> okay, so there are these other things. Um, they said, um, more grounded research suggests a possible connection with another secret order known as the Sons of Malta which had sprung up in 1850s New Orleans and enjoyed a brief but strong existence nationwide, dying out with the Civil War. It is quite likely um, Okay, it is quite likely that there were many former members in the ranks of the newly minted KKK after the war, who brought along the ritualization of the Maltese, which had reached towards similarly ghoulish titles. So Maltese is what you call the people from Malta, okay? And we also have that Maltese Falcon movie. 
The scant record, records that do exist also point to similarities. They, they, they said that they started off as a prank, okay? Wearing these hoods and going around and scaring black people. <laughs> okay, so, but I'm going to be, there were three iterations of the clan, okay? There was this one here, the Sons of Malta business roaming around New Orleans, late 1850s, okay? And then they were born again, okay? And this is the significant, absolutely significant turning point in time, okay? And then they were born again now, and they're still hanging around now, but I'm going to be focusing today on this born again aspect, okay? But before I do that and wander off, let me play this short clip of who the clan is, okay? Okay. Okay. This show is called, it's only three minutes long, it's called The Early Ku Klux Klan and White Supremacy, okay? In the period following the Civil War known as Reconstruction, the United States Congress enacted a series of laws that gave blacks the rights of citizenship, voting, and equal protection under the law. But when blacks tried to claim those rights, Southern whites tried to deny them. In the late 1860s, white supremacist groups began to organize throughout the South. The largest was the Ku Klux Klan. The origins of the KKK are a little bit obscure. It seems to have begun in Tennessee, certainly began among former Confederate soldiers. Initially, it seemed to be given over to pranksterism, but very quickly, the KKK becomes a rubric to describe all sorts of paramilitary and vigilante groups, some small, some large, some politically connected, some relatively ad hoc, uh, that take it as their task to enforce the submission of the now free black population through violent means. The Klan's presence was especially strong in Arkansas, Georgia, Louisiana, and South Carolina, where blacks equaled or outnumbered the white population. The Klan was made up of former Confederate soldiers, some members of the Democratic Party, and those resistant to Congress's plans to reconstruct the South. They were angry that the Republican Party, who held the majority in Congress and were the ones pushing for civil rights for blacks, were forcing these changes by controlling southern state governments against the will of white residents there. Klan members terrorized blacks in church, at the polls, and in schools. They intimidated teachers, forcing them to stop teaching black students. They used threats of violence to keep blacks from leaving plantations. And then the threats became real. They beat, tortured, and even murdered blacks to prevent them from voting serving as political leaders. Between 1865 and 1877, the Klan and other related white supremacist groups were responsible for more than 4,000 deaths throughout the South. You might say it's the really the first period of homegrown American terrorism. The Ku Klux Klan was the Al-Qaeda of the 19th century. These acts of terrorism were effective. Many blacks stayed home from the polls out of fear. As blacks overwhelmingly voted for Republicans, Republican-controlled state governments in the South began to weaken. And this was the beginning of a process that eventually leads to a much more massive white mobilization of vigilante violence, which toppled Reconstruction governments through violent means in 
between the middle of the 1870s. In response to the murders and intimidation, President Ulysses S. Grant signed the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871, a law that directed the federal government to prosecute people who attempted to deny blacks their civil rights. Still, the Klan and other groups continued to grow over the next century. Well, I guess that was about it, huh? So, they started the Klan to essentially make sure they didn't give any black people any rights. Is how it appears to me. Um, so, let me get back over here. Where was I? Okay, so, yeah, it started off supposedly as pranks, okay? Okay, during the last half of the 18th century, memories of the Ku Klux Klan, a brief grip on the South faded, and its bloody deeds were forgotten by many whites who were once in sympathy with his cause. So a lot of people were sympathetic towards the Klan in the beginning, okay? On the national scene, two events served to set the stage for the Ku Klux Klan to be reborn in the 20th century. And here again, if you're noticing these dates, we're back again, mid-1800s, right? And what happened, what are these two things that changed? Well, one was massive immigration, bringing some 23 million people from Great Britain, Germany, Italy, Hungary, and Russia, and a great cry of opposition from some Americans. Isn't it interesting how people have become rug pullers, meaning that once they get theirs, they want to pull the rug up so nobody gets theirs? Or they call them ladder pullers. Once you get up the ladder yourself, you make sure that ladder disappears so nobody else can use it. We're really, we really evolved into quite a, quite a group of people who, in my opinion, well, we got ourselves here, okay? We got ourselves here because we didn't believe that evil existed. Okay, so, okay, so that the first event was um, reflected many errors. And the organization, a secret oath-bound group, was especially strong in the Middle West, where the reborn Ku Klux Klan would later draw much of its strength. The other major event which prepared the Klan's return was World War I, which had a wrenching, unsettling effect on the nation. If they always keep us in turmoil and chaos, it makes it easier to murder and rob us, right? Okay, um, got those people. The other, World War One. okay. On the European battlefields, white Americans, again, were exposed to unrestrained bloodshed while blacks served in the uniform of their country and saw open up before them a new world. So blacks were seeing a whole new world because they were now seeing other parts of the world. Americans learned suspicion hatred, and distrust of anything alien. See, that's where they come up with the word alien, like aliens, right? A sentiment which led to the rejection of Pre President Woodrow Wilson's League of Nations. So they rejected, the American public evidently rejected the League of Nations. The League of Nations was the organization before the United Nations, okay? In, a, in the South, another series of events occurred which helped breathe life into the Klan several decades later. Um, there was a populist movement, um, a feeling spread across the South, shared by both the aristocracy and many poor whites that blacks had to be frozen out of society. 
here we're getting the ideas from the aristocrats and the poor people, okay? The 1890s marked the beginning of efforts in the Deep South to deny political, social, and economic power to blacks. Most segregation and disenfranchisement laws date from that period. It is also the beginning of a series of lynching of blacks by white mobs. The combination of legalized racism and the constant threat of violence eventually led to major black migration to northern cities. So the blacks decided to get out of the south and move to the north. And this is where I was really chasing down some details here. The origin of the KKK was a carefully guarded secret for years. Secrets. Although there were many theories to explain its beginnings. One popular notion held that the KKK was originally a secret order of Chinese opium smugglers. Another claimed it was begun by Confederate prisoners during the war. Well, the war was fake. That's why they called it the Civil Civil War. Civil, like civil, like everybody agreed to things, right? Um, the most ridiculous theory attributed the name to some ancient Jewish document referring to the Hebrews enslaved by the Egyptian pharaohs. In fact, the beginning of the clan involved nothing so sinister, subversive, or ancient. It, it was the boredom of small-town life that led six young Confederate veterans to gather around a fireplace one December evening in 1865 and form a social club. The place was Pulaski, Tennessee, near the Alabama border. When they reassembled a week later, the six young men, of course there were six of them, were full of ideas for their new society. It would be secret to heighten the amusement of the thing, and the titles for the various offices were to be names as preposterous sounding as possible, partly for the fun of it, and partly to avoid any military or political implications. Thus, the head of the group was called the Grand Cyclops. Well, they named these things <laughs> after Saturn, right? <laughs> so the historians are seeing this as <clears throat> that uh, the, the historians are seeing this as they made these names up to avoid any military political implications. When in fact, I am here to argue they always leave a trail, right? And this is their trail. The head of the group was called Grand Cyclops. We have that one eye on the dollar bill. That one eye is everywhere, okay? And I've been talking about that one eye with the Saturn folks, okay? His assistant was a Grand Maggie. There was to be a Grand Turk. Remember over in Turkey, they had all that fake Ottoman stuff to greet all candidates for admission. A Grand Scribe to act as secretary. Nighthawks for messengers and a lictor to be the guard. L I C T O R. I don't know what that means. The members, when the six young men, when the six young men found some to join, would be called ghouls. G H O U L S. But what to name the society itself? And this is all. Remember, this is all them just guessing, right? The founders were determined to come up with something unusual and mysterious. Being well-educated, well, of course they were well-educated. They turned to the Greek language. 
After tossing around a number of ideas, they suggested the word kuklos, K-U-K-L-O-S, from which the English word circle and cycle was derived. Okay. And this was from a piece called The Clan's Version of History. And I'm going to go through a little bit of it. Few eras of United States history are as entangled in myth and legend as a period of 1865 to 1877. Now, I don't remember. I'll have to look back. What were the years that they came up missing with uh, uh, census records around that time frame, right? Because I think when they were missing census records was when a lot of people just happened to disappear. So... The period from 1865 to 1877 was known as Reconstruction. Always a dangerous time, right? <clears throat> For the modern Klansmen, this period of history is vitally important. And the retelling of the events of those days is a basic element of Klan propaganda. <clears throat> and the Klan version of Reconstruction goes like this. In the dark days immediately after the Civil War, Southerners were just beginning to pick up the pieces of their shattered lives when an evil and profit-minded coalition of Northern radical Republicans, carpetbaggers, and Southern scalawags threw out legitimate Southern governments at bayonet point and began installing illiterate blacks in state offices. Worse, the conspirators aroused mobs of savage blacks to attack defenseless whites while the South was helpless to do anything about it. This sounds like early CIA movement, right? CIA goes around and causes disturbances. The radicals pulled the strings behind the scenes, stole Southern state governments, stole this, okay, <laughs> this is them, okay. The radicals pulling the strings would, I'm gonna guess these would be the elites, right? Pulling the strings, okay, behind the scenes, stole southern state governments blind and sent them deeply into debt. After a few years of this, the Ku Klux Klan arose, drove out the carpetbaggers and radicals, and restored white southerners to their rightful place in their own land. So that's a pretty significant role they played there early on, right? For rescuers. Maybe, is this where we got this um, knights and white horses from? Because remember, the, the Klan put white sheets over their horses <laughs> be careful if you ask for a knight and white horse to rescue you girls okay okay like all so this is this segment was the plan was romanticized as the south savior like all legends and myths this particular scenario starts out with a few grains of truth but winds up being romanticized a romanticized story a version of history that white Southerners in the late 1800s wanted very badly to believe was true. No events of this period illustrate the inaccuracy of the legend better than the race riots which occurred in Memphis and New Orleans in the first half of 1866. In both cases, white city police attacked groups of blacks without provocation and killed scores of men, women, and children with the help of armed white mobs behind them. These were the worst incidents of white organized violence against blacks in that year, and by no means the only ones. So, that was the first iteration of the 
clan, okay? We leave them in the 1860s, 1866 time frame, okay? So now we get into, so that, that whole period, they're being romanticized, okay? As they, they presented black men as wanting to do nothing but rape and kill white women, so that they became the romanticized savior of white women, okay? But then there was part two that we're focused on today. This guy named William Simmons, a Spanish war veteran turned preacher, turned salesman, was a compulsive joiner who held memberships in a dozen different societies and two churches. But he had always dreamed of starting his own fraternal group. And in the fall of 1915, he put his plans into action. And what were those plans? Well, on Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving evening, another very sick and twisted holiday we support in this country, Simmons herded 15 fellow fraternalists onto a hired bus. Now, this, is, this gets very interesting because didn't they just come up with the automobile about this time and here they're hiring buses and riding around on them? <laughs> when you start to deceive and tell lies, you got to watch where your stories are. But this gets interesting because if you remember in the show about FDR, um, it was in the last show or two. FDR happened to set up his little facility for crippled people in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Hmm. Now, I didn't make any jokes about FDR being crippled because I'm not sure if he was really crippled or not. And it would be inappropriate to be joking about somebody in a wheelchair unless I was really sure. But if I had to guess, if I had to guess, oh, I made it up, right? Okay, so um, when somebody is a psychopath and they lie about everything, you really need to question it all. But out of respect for people who really did end up in wheelchairs, I will refrain from any further comments about was FDR really crippled or not? I have FDR and his wife, <laughs> that ugly man, be <laughs> married to. If you go over to psychopathinyourlife.com, click on elite transgenders. I have all of them. I have hundreds of photos of these people. They're lousy chin jobs. At one point, Eleanor Roosevelt got a new set of teeth because she was so ugly and looked so much like a big old man. <laughs> in order to get in the very top position, they're going to be transgenders, okay? All of them, all of them, all of these people at BlackRock, all of these people in charge, all of your favorite friends on social media who have big followings. I hate to break your heart, but most of them are transgender. But I'd also like to make one public service announcement. These people got flipped as children against their will. So I try to refrain a lot of nasty comments for them because they didn't exactly agreed to become transgendered when they were tiny little tots, okay? But they have agreed to carry on the family tradition. So let's not lose sight of all these things here, okay? Because they're all around us, okay? They set up a lot of these towns, flipped a lot of towns. This transgender thing in this country is huge, okay? Just use those eyes. If you would go over and look at those pictures, learn to train your eyes. And if you're, ever, if you're ever confused, like for example, years ago, I was confused about Joe Rogan. Well, all it took was looking at who he's married to, right? 
He sits there yelling about not wanting to transgender children. Well, he's got a couple transgender children of his own. He's a little woman on steroids, okay? So, yeah. So, if you ever get confused, the men, the fake men are harder to pick out. Just look at who they're married to. Like, look at uh, Eric Schmidt from Google. Wowzers. That man he's married to is pretty obvious. <laughs> so... If you're confused by the men, look at the women. And yes, I have pictures of Google. I have pictures of the people who run YouTube. I have pictures of all of these people right there on my website. Go take a look. So no one gets to the top. And a lot of people are also transgendering their own children, thinking that will help them get to the top. But I have news for you. It was all a lie. You flipped your own children for a lie, and I'll leave it alone. I don't care what the adults do. All I care about is the massive amounts of children they're flipping right now in front of our eyes, okay? That is my only concern. And if you were transgendered as a child against your will, you have my complete sympathy. You have every bit of my sympathy. But let's play in a real world here, okay? If you're not going to be any better than them, then you're going to deserve what you get in the end. And that's a very mean statement, but it's true. They got a lot of people to go along with them, but in the end, they're going to pull the rug. And if you've got dark skin or you're anything but white, welcome to their rug-pulling world, okay? So, um, okay, so this guy on Thanksgiving, um, and this was the part that I knew it was them, okay? This is the actual key part that I knew for a fact that these were the people, okay? Because how did they get this money? Well, they sold membership like a Ponzi scheme. <laughs> so let me get to the other part, though. So on Thanksgiving evening, he herded 15 fellow fraternists, okay? And then they... Um, they adopted the titles of the original version and the regalia. They always like all that regalia, right? The, the, the awards, the titles, all that stuff, right? Um, so, and the historian said there's little doubt that Simmons' ultimate purpose in forming the group was to make money. But growth at first was slow. Even after... America entered World War I in 1917, the Klan had a real purpose, that of defending the country from aliens, idlers, and union leaders. So, um, then in 1920, Simmons, um, and here's where it gets interesting, the publicity, right? So, in 1920, he met these two publicists, a Edward Young Clark and Elizabeth Tyler, who formed a business in Atlanta. And in June of 1920, with the Klan's membership only a few thousand, Simon signed a contract with these two people, giving them 80% of the profits from the dues of the new members Simon so eagerly sought. So he cut a deal with two advertising people in June of 1920 to give them profits from the dues. Boy, some people never really change, now do they? Okay, um, the uh, new promoters used an aggressive new sales pitch. The Klan would be rapidly pro-American, 
which to them meant rabidly anti-black, anti-Jewish, and most importantly, anti-Catholic. See, the whole deal of this um, Klan thing was to be anti-Catholic, but that's kind of the catch, right? Because the Catholics are the ones who started Malta, right? I mean, all you have to do is <laughs> connect a few dots, right? Okay. Um, so now, oh, here, 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 this is an important part. Simmons graphically illustrated the new approach when he was introduced to an audience of Georgia Klansmen and drew a Colt automatic pistol, a revolver, and a cartridge belt from his coat and arranged them on the table before him. Plunging a bowie knife into the table beside the guns, he issued an invitation. Now let the niggers, Catholics, Jews, and all other who disdain my imperial wizardly come out. Plunging a knife into the table, now let the niggers, Catholics, Jews, and all others who disdain my imperial wizardry. They start off, now remember this wizardry stuff, right? Wizards, Harry Potter, it all starts to come. The message was clear. The new message, the new clan was serious. That meant expanding its list of enemies to include Asians, immigrants, Bootleggers. Now, why can't I see this paper? Okay, Asian, Asians, immigrants, bootleggers, dope, graft, nightclubs, and roadhouses. Violations of the Sabbath, sex, pre- and extramarital escapades, and scandalous behavior. <clears throat> the Klan, with its new mission of social vigilance, soon had organizers scouring the nation, probing for the fears of the communities they hit, and then exploiting them to the hilt. Sounds to me like the Klan was doing what they've all been doing in this human experiment is figuring out what our fears were, right? Now, why would they be figuring this out? Because they don't share our fears because they are the psychopaths, right? So they had to go around on their little horses and stuff. And the tactic was immediately a raging success. By the late summer of 1921, nearly 100,000 had enrolled in the Invisible Empire, they were calling it. And at $10 a head, and this was tax-free since the Klan was a benevolent society. See, they're, even the Klan, <laughs> even the Klan was set up to rob the tax dollars, okay? I rest my case. So, um, the profits were impressive. While Simmons made speeches and tinkered with ritual, Clark busied himself with expanding the treasury, launching clan publishing and manufacturing firms, and investing in real estate. The future looked very good. But during the summer, the clan leaders in Atlanta ran into their first trouble, controlling their far-flung empire. While clan officials talked of fraternal ideals in Atlanta, and Atlanta is also where the CDC is too, right? Their members across the nation began to take seriously the fiery rhetoric the recruiters were using to drum up new initiation fees. Violence first flared in a rampage of whippings, tar and feather rays, and the use of acid to brand the letters KKK on the foreheads of blacks, Jews, and others they considered anti-American. Ministers, sheriffs, Policemen, mayors, and 
judges either ignored the violence or secretly participated. Few Klansmen were arrested, much less convicted. So, yeah, um, so, uh, I got this really out of order here. I've already talked about the Sons of Malta. Yeah, we got that. Malta, the official Republic of Malta. And also, it's very easy. Look for Malta and look for Malta robes. They wear these long black robes, black from Saturn, right? Same, same color robe that judges wear, black robes. And they also um, have that big cross, the Maltese cross in white on that robe. And the other color you'll see is usually red, okay? And everybody who is anybody gets the Malta Award. You will see the queen, I don't know, she's dead now or something, but um, they would hold annual festivals and she would give these Malta Awards to all the musicians and all these people. So if you're anybody who's anybody in the elite, you get a Malta Award, okay? And that also gives you a lot more clues to who these people are because you got to be one of them to get a Malta Award, okay? So, um, because uh, Malta, is, and this brings us over to that part of the country where they're all fighting all the time, right? It's an island country in the Mediterranean Sea. It's also a tax haven. It consists of an archipelago that, that's those islands, between Italy and Libya, and is part of Southern Europe. Ku Klux Klan is evolved around the order's nearly 160 years of existence. Okay, so the first one, 67, 68, got that. The ones we're looking at is from 1915 to 1944. This is, and you also notice, it's called the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. And the other group is called the Knights of Malta, right? So, <laughs> couldn't they have picked another name? Or the, the same part of the group, right? Okay, so yeah, so the first group, the first clan was 1865, 1872, second clan, we got that, third one, who knows what, okay, so the third clan officially started in the 1850s, okay, and all of these clans are typically Protestants. This is all part of um, the dual thing, right? Black, white, pick a side. The KKK first organized in the South to intimidate African Americans after the Civil War. Okay, um, now this is where I was just casually looking around one day. <laughs> and if you remember, recently I did that show about the um, Pope wears the same hat as Santa. Well, well, well. <laughs> Who wears the same hat? Well, I was looking around. I thought, wow, who else wears that pointy hat? Well, we have, um, if you remember correctly, we have um, the Pope wears that tall pointy hat that has the slits in it, and that's called the miter hat, M-I-T-R-E hat, wasn't that? The miter hat, yeah. And then um, they even get buried in the miter hat, that tall pointy hat. That's because they like that um, three pyramid thing right those tall pointy hats um, so because of my thing for hats the clan wears a hat and uh, it's actually a capori c-a-p 
I-R-O-T-E hat. And quite interesting. Quite interesting. So I was thinking, wow, huh. These uh, Malta people have the exact same logo color-wise and stuff. The only real difference between Malta and the clan is um, the clan has the same looking cross. Sometimes they make the cross have little spears in it, but it's the same same cross. Same looking cross that the Swiss use. <laughs> you know, just the same cross, right? Um, and um, so, yeah, so who wears that hat? Well, it's a Capirote. C-A-P-I-R-O-T-E. It's a Christian pointed hat of conical form that is used in Spain by members of a co-fraternity of penitents. And that is P-E-N-I-T-E-N-T-S. It is part of the uniform of such brotherhoods, including the Nazarenos, which sounds suspicious, you like Nazis, right? Faristios, F-A-R-I-S-E-O-S, during Easter observations and reenactments in some areas during Holy Week in Spain and its former colonies, those similar hoods are common in other Christian countries such as, ding, 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 Italy. <laughs> okay. And remember those cone hats, though Saturday Night Live did a skit that went on for a very long time and all the characters wore cone hats, right? So according to this historian, Dick, Capirotti was appropriated by the earliest 20th century American Ku Klux Klan, <laughs> a white supremacist and anti-Catholic group. And this other historian traces the uniform to Southern Mardi Gras celebrations. So Southern Mardi Gras celebrations from New Orleans, you know, Mardi Gras dress up in funny costumes and stuff, or the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> okay. Historically, the design is called the Capiroti, okay? But the brotherhoods cover it with fabric together with their face and the metal of the brotherhood that is worn underneath. The cloth has two holes for them to see through. The insignia or crest of the brotherhood is usually embroidered on the capirote in fine gold. The capirote is worn during the whole penance. So, yeah, we're in the same hat as the old Ku Klux Klan, huh? <laughs> Members of the original Ku Klux Klan in the 1860s and 1870s wore masks or hoods and sometimes robes. But it was the second Ku Klux Klan, which started in 1915, which really established the consistent look of the hooded and robed clans members that is still seen today. Imagine that. Indeed, the image of a hooded clansman has become a popular hate symbol itself, displayed on t-shirts and tattoos by white supremacists around the world. The second KKK was heavily influenced by fraternal societies of the early 20th century and as a result of developing a bewildering array of titles, rituals, codes, signs, and gear. Well, 
I don't call any of this bewildering because all of these titles, rituals, and codes actually trace back to Malta. <laughs> so, but see, these historians didn't make that dot, right? Today, then, there is no universal set of meanings behind clan robes and their colors and symbols. Clans can vary greatly from one to the next. With most clan groups, the general memberships wear white robes. In some cases, clan officers also wear white robes, but with colored stripes on them to indicate rank. In other clan groups, clan officers are allowed to wear robes of other colors, black, green, or purple. What color indicates a particular um, rank can vary, and I could not trace that one down. I'm going to guess that probably the top guy probably wears a red robe, right? <laughs> Generally speaking, white robes tend to indicate a rank and file member, unless all members wear such robes. Green robes indicate state leaders, the grand dragons, in many clan groups, while black robes indicate night hawks, a sort of clan security position. The leaders... Okay, I'm waiting until he gets past me here and doesn't step on my cords. Okay, where are we here? He's trying to... Wait a second. Okay, we got it. Now... Ah, and I'm still going. <laughs> he got his foot caught around the cord. Oh boy, that was a close call. Okay, so now we're getting to the good part. Okay. Okay. Okay, the clan of our stripes. Um, yeah, sashes and emblems on their robes. You know, the, here's the thing about these people they love those emblems, don't they? They love that status, don't they? Okay, now. I'm just now starting to watch this movie. It's available for free on YouTube. And um, quite interesting um, how movies played into all this stuff, right? Please settle down. I'm talking to him, not you. Okay. The movie is called The Birth of a Nation, 1915. The Birth of a Nation. Landmark, silent film, starting Lillian Gish, G-I-S-H, released in 1915. That was the first blockbuster Hollywood hit of all time. It was the longest and most profitable film that produced, then produced, and most artistically advanced film of its day. It secured both the future of feature-length films and the reception of films as a serious medium. An epic about the American Civil War and the Reconstruction era that followed, it has long been hailed for its technical and dramatic innovations, but condemned for the racism inherent in the script and its positive portrayal of the KKK. All about the movie scripts, right? Write the movie, write the books, write the Bible, make them all work together. Based on the novel, the novel was called The Klansman, but it was Klansman with a C. 
C-L-A-N-S-M-A-N, from 1905 by Thomas Dixon, okay? The two-part epic traces the impact of the Civil War on two families, the Stonemans of the North and the Camerons of the South, each on separate sides of the conflict. The first half of the film is set from the outbreak of the war through the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln, and the concluding section deals with the chaos of the Reconstruction period. So, uh, there is this person called Director D.W. Griffith, okay? Revolutionized the young art of movie making with his big budget, and at the time it was $110,000. I forgot how much it is today, but anyway. So, it was an artistically ambitious recreation of the Civil War years. Well, did those years really exist, or is this how we got those years, right? <laughs> so, shooting on, on the film began in secrecy in July of 1914. Although a script existed, Griffith kept most of the continuity in his head, a remarkable feat considering that the completed film contained 1,544 separate shots at a time when the most elaborate spectacles, Italian epics such as Kabira, boasted fewer than 100. So he did 1,544, and the biggest one, this Italian movie, did fewer than 100, okay? Running nearly three hours, The Birth of a Nation was the then longest movie ever released and its sweeping battle recreations, battle recreations, okay, and large-scale action thrilled audiences. It also innovate in technique using special effects, deep focus photography, jump cuts, and facial close-ups. However, the movie's overt racial outrage Oh, the, however, the movie's overt racism outraged African Americans and civil rights advocates. Blacks, particularly on the film's second part, dramatizing Reconstruction, are portrayed as the root of all evil and unworthy of freedom and voting rights. In addition, male African Americans are depicted as always lusting after white women. In contrast, the KKK is portrayed as a heroic light, as a healing force, restoring order to the chaos and lawlessness of Reconstruction. Now, if you remember, not that long ago, I was talking about how they were riding around and figuring out ways to instill fear in people, right? Prote protests against the film accompanied its premiere in Los Angeles in February of 1915 and continued when the film debuted in New York City the following month. But it was in Boston, where the film opened in April, that Griffith faced the most intense and protracted opposition. This mayor, who was a civil rights leader, um, teamed up with a local branch of the NAACP in a bid to ban the film. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, um, so... But, like all good things, of course it had its purpose, right? And here is their purpose. Um, blacks were portrayed as a root of all evil, and Griffith's movie proved a boon for the KKK, which had practically disappeared by the 1870s 
with the end of Reconstruction. However, in December 1915, it was revived in Georgia following the opening of the movie. Inspired by the birth of a nation, a preacher and promoter of fraternal orders led a cross burning on Stone Mountain that marked the beginning of a new era of KKK activity. Isn't Stone Mountain where they also did those fake um, tablets there too? Hinge or whatever they call it. Some people actually believe that was true, but well, whatever. Okay, but Stonehenge, is some, Stone Mountain is something to these people. What? I don't know. Um, Demonstrations, mainly organized by the NAACP, continued in other cities where the film was shown. Ultimately, the filmmaker's civil liberties claims prevailed against uh, such opposition did not prevent the birth of a nation from becoming one of the most popular films of the silent era. It achieved national distribution in the year of its release and was seen by nearly 3 million people. So the birth of a nation remains a landmark work in cinema cinematic history. This view was reflected in 1992 when the U.S. Library of Cong Congress classified it among the culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant films produced in the United States <laughs> and selected for film registry. So, obviously, people really liked this movie now, didn't they? Um, because what happened was, was that uh, a lot of the things that we see as a clan came out of this movie, okay? And um, there was this historian um, talked about, they said that some early Klansmen did wear white and later Klan mythology would claim they dressed up as Confederate ghosts. They usually drew on folk traditions of carnivals, circuses, Main Streets, Mardi Gras, or the mid-century Calico Indian hooded and masked farmers rebelling against upstate New York land laws. In the early days, Klansmen wore gigantic animal horns, fake beards, coonskin caps, or polka-dotted paper hats. They imitated French accents or barnyard animals. They played guitars to serenade victims. Some Klansmen wore pointed hats suggesting, suggestive of wizards, dunces, or perros. Some wore everyday winter hoods, pillowcases, or flower sacks on their heads. Many early Klansmen also wore blackface, simultaneously scapegoating and mocking their victims. Together, a pointed white hood and robe creates the distinctive outfit worn by America's oldest and most infamous hate group, the KKK. But members of the terrorist organization donned very different costumes for much of the group's early history. It took the influence of Hollywood and a mail-order catalog to establish the white supremacist garb of choice. So um, then they went on to say uh, the Klan outfits look very much like the Holy Week processions in Europe. Well, because they are, right? <laughs> so how did all the clans get their hoods? A traveling organizer for several fraternity orders, including the clan, saw an opportunity in the commercial success of the movie and started selling hoods and robes in 1920. 
1921, the Klan began mass-producing the costume, even publishing a sumptuous full-color mail-order catalog. They were tapping into a big market as by the 1920s, the Klan had once again become a powerful political force in both the North and the South. Have you also ever noticed they always, this cut and paste thing, there's always a North and a South, like North Korea, South Korea, North Vietnam, South Vietnam. Some words, there's something something that ticks in your brain with radiation and makes some words kind of complicated. Defamation League points out the uniform hood and white robe served as a symbol that gave the hate group a sense of power and belonging as well as a quick way of identifying others who shared their beliefs. While financial difficulties and charging and charges of tax evasion would cause the Klan to splinter and dissolve again, it emerged as again as a smaller violent presence during the Civil Rights Movement. The hood remains a part of the group, however, as does the hate to this day. Everything just boils into one big thing, right? So, um, we got this Knights of Templar. They're the ones that uh, do the Malta thing, right? And how do they connect? Well, now I don't know if these dates are true or not, right? But here's some clues that make them suspicious, right? Okay. Um, I looked up a... Um, Knights of Malta, the original one from this country. No, wait a minute. Okay. There's just one group called the Knights of Malta, okay? The group I was talking about earlier, the Ku Klux Klan, they started from a group they were calling the Sons of Malta, okay? But the actual Knights of Malta, uh, uh, the members of the order remained active in France's Navy and overseas empire. Several were involved in the Mississippi Company early scheme in the early 18th century. And this Frenchman, a hospitalier, um, Guiana. Um, so, yeah, I'm not going to get into... Um, the Knights of Malta could drag us around for weeks and months and months, okay? Um, but the Knights of Malta generally... The Pope, in the last year or so, reorganized it. What was that about? Don't really remember. But anyway, so... uh, (laughs) um, The Knights of Malta were, and still are, a religious Roman Catholic and military order under its own papal charter that was established in the 11th century. Before the established... Let me see here. Before the established order existed, their predecessors were referred to as the Knights Hospitalier, okay, were associated with a hospital in Amalfi, which is present-day Italy. So, these Malta people, okay, (laughs) all clues keep, all roads keep leading back to the rooms in Italy, right? So, um, 
it sounds like they start off like doing good, right? Why do I always say evil comes packaged as help, right? So um, the nice hospital were uh, in Italy, their primary mission was to provide care for the sick, poor, or injured pilgrims returning from the Holy Land, which refers to the present-day region of Israel and the Palestinian territory. And I'll have much more about that with this ISIS, ISIS, I-S-I-S, now talk about it, S, S, I, ISIS, that's a, that's a load of S's, right? This ISIS person is who we're going to be talking about next. Um, that's their Mary, Mother, whatever, the Garden of Eden, the snake, reptiles, secrets. Um, okay, so when the, when the kingdom of Jerusalem was established after the first crusade, the Knights Hospitaller became a religious and military order under his own papal charter. Okay, so the Knights' main mission was to defend the Holy Land and provide care for the injured. They built several forts and estates in the area to support that mission. So, um, and then there's another very interesting part about these Malta people. Around 1300, the knights organized themselves through languages or tongues. Because in the past, I've talked about, I do not believe that we had all these languages. We just telepathically communicated, right? We didn't need languages. And languages, borders, all this stuff was a tripping off point for us, right? Because when they introduced languages and borders and all this stuff, it started to confine and control us, right? So, okay. So around 1300, the Knights organized themselves through languages or tongues, which were administrative divisions roughly based on the geographic distribution of the orders, members, and possessions. Each of these languages had a headquarters, referred to as Abegis, A-U-B-E-R-G-E-S, which translates to hostel or inn in French. And the seven languages that existed were province. I looked all these up. They're just, just different regions. Arvinger, France, Aragon, Italy, England, and Germany. So the knights were led by a grand master. Well, same thing as the Ku Klux Klan, right? <laughs> so um, they said, the year 1530, the knights, the knights of the military order of St. John in Malta. Oh, that was just a picture. Never mind. The year 1530 is when the knights chapter in Malta starts, okay? After years of not having a fixed quarters to call their home, Charles V of Spain then gave Charles V of Spain was then the ruler of Malta as king of Sicily, gave the knights the island of Malta and Gazo, as well as the city of Tripoli, present-day capital Libya. When the knights took hold of Malta and Gonzo, G-O-Z-O, the islands were seen as small and offering little resources, although it was a step forward from having no home at all. The knights accepted the gift of Malta because it was basically better than having no base at all. That meant that for, that meant that Malta was never meant to be 
the Knight's permanent home. They still hope one day to recapture Rhodes, but after the great siege of 1565, decided to stay in Malta and build a stronghold there. So something is going on in Malta, right? <laughs> you don't have to have a PhD in detective work to figure this one out, right? They like Malta. <laughs> they wear those capes. They love Malta. The Knights Hospital operate a wide network of properties in the Middle Ages and there are successive seats in Jerusalem, Acre, Cyprus, Rhodes, and eventually Malta. In the early 14th century, they received many properties and assets previously in the hands of the Knights Templar. So, um, well, okay, um, so the second, so now, now, now that I've gone back into Malta history, <laughs> let's move back into the KKK. The second iteration of the KKK was galvanized into existence by the 1915 silent film, The Birth of a Nation. A racist, revisionist take on the Civil War filmed and premiered in Los Angeles. The massive movement spawned by the film was in large part a reaction to a surge of immigrants to the United States during this period. Those who arrived in California were mainly from Latin America and Japan. That's why they um, decided to not just keep going after the black people, but just to get everybody right. If you haven't figured this out already, clearly the 1% are all white, right? <laughs> I saw over on that Facebook group, um, it's called um, Royal Actors. Um, they had somebody playing Oprah Winfrey, and it was a white royal person, okay? The people they have showing rich black people are really rich white people, okay? So the person that we see as Oprah Winfrey is really some white royal person. I forget their name, but it is not a black person, okay? <laughs> Just had to throw that out there. Okay, um, the newly revived KKK was an emotional reaction to diversity that sees diversity as really threatening, and that's what fed this kind of patronism. The organization portrayed itself as a vigilante force that would fight against anyone deemed not to be a quote-unquote real American. The Klan's hateful doctrine contained not only xenophobia, that's a fear of foreigners, but religious bigotry restricting, restricting membership to white Christians. And also, who set up this country? Well, white Christians, right? Their vision easily infiltrated Protestant denominations, which at the time felt threatened by the liberalization of social norms. This is what happened in Los Angeles. No, that was my picture. Okay. Okay, so... Um, in 1922, one of the hate group's officers told a Daily Telegram reporter that the KKK is one of the purest, noblest, cleanest, most Christian, most patriotic organization that had ever come to existence. So, um, 
and as a way to protect and forward the organization's interests, the local KKK chapter successfully recruits city officials, including police officers. <laughs> By day, some Klansmen exchange their hoods and sheets for blue coats and badges as Klan members was especially popular in the Long Beach Police Department. <laughs> I talked about this in the past that there's all these allegations that the um, sheriff's department in California is all gang members. Um, it's uh, Villanueva is the sheriff's name. Alex Villanueva. He's the one that they say is a gang member. He, he, he got voted out the last time. But he just did another interview. This Alex Villanueva. And he claims that the gang stuff was just all made up by his enemies. <laughs> I think the United States is nothing but one big gang, right? And each gang is always going after the other gang, so. Okay. Indeed, the Klan headquarters on East Anaheim Avenue and the cross-burning ceremonies at Recreation Park made Long, Be Long Beach a tough place for blacks. While Long Beach, Long Beach, California was something of a regional hotbed for the KKK, as was Anaheim, 10 miles to the east, it was by no means the only city in the state at the time to see members of the white supremacy group donning a badge. As a matter of fact, um, I spent a decent amount of time in Orange County, California, um, right next to Anaheim, California, and um, it was home of the John Birch Society, pretty white group of people, and that would have been like in the 60s. I think my whole experience in high school I think I only ever saw one black student in my whole experience in high school, okay? Not on purpose. I mean, I didn't tell my parents just drive me to an all-white high school. <laughs> That's the way it was. No other black kids in school. And I, when I was looking into the Klan, I, I was remembering when I was working in Silicon Valley, I had a couple of conversations. Why would conversations so many years ago stand out to me? Well, because... I tried to have a couple conversations over time as far as why weren't there any black people in Silicon Valley and both of those conversations just took a <laughs> just took a track that I really wasn't expecting okay but yeah it, it's 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 a white town okay um, okay the police chief and police judge in nearby Bakersfield were both members as seven police officers. yeah they were all members okay <laughs> Southern California in general had the second largest concentration of Klan chapters and members outside the South during this period. Um, so, yeah, Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. Knights of the Hospitaliers, right? Knights of the Malta. Um, so, uh, they said that this one guy secretly joined. This stuff could just get mind-boggling, okay? But, Knights of the Klan. So, yeah, so they went to a lot of things saying, well, you got to get these clan members out of town. But, you know, they're still there, right? They're just not wearing white hoods anymore, right? Okay. So, yeah, I'm going to scan past this stuff. You, you, could, um, you could bury yourself in interesting history. Um, and I've already talked enough about the horrific um, record the United States has in locking up black men in this country. Um, so, yeah, um, I'm going to keep scanning through this because um, it's a very, uh, very tragic 
it's still going on today. I'm, I'm not acting like this is over with, right? Um, and also they like those K's because if you put two K's back to back, it gives you a um, butterfly, and they like that butterfly symbol for a new awareness. So two K's back to back make that butterfly. Um, I'll tell you this one piece. I'm going to be closing off here in a second. Um, um, okay, in 1926, the California Klan annual convention was held in Long Beach. 30,000 Klan members openly marched down Ocean Boulevard. About 5,000 of them were locals. The pr procession was spectacular in the extreme, reported the Santa Cruz Evening News. Organizers had gone so far as to have a plane fly overhead with a shining red cross attached to its fuselage. Red cross, okay? Red cross, Malta wears a red cross, KKK wears a red cross. They're all wearing those red crosses, aren't they now? Okay. Um, so um, they had the plane flying overhead. The Long Beach Chamber of Commerce even provided custom metal badges to some participants, this event would not have taken place without the approval of city leaders. No kidding, right? Okay, so yeah, this is, um, this is why America hates black people, right? Um, and where is something uh, I have from 1933 here? I'm always looking at 1933 for some reason. A 1933 letter from the California Grand Dragon Clan. Uh, if you can't tell me Grand Wizard, that Harry Potter, all this stuff. If you if you can if you can give me one good reason why you think the KKK is not really the Malta people, I would really like to hear it. Okay, um, so this 1933 letter from the California Grand da Dragon Clan leader thanking the Long Beach City Mayor manager for helping the organization secure the municipal ban for one of his meetings illustrates just how normalized the relationship remained between white supremacists and Long Beach City government officials well into the next decade. So the second incarnation of the KKK officially folded in 1944 after much scandal and mismanagement. So I don't remember uh, I don't think that the, well, scandal and mismanagement, well, they got in trouble over paying taxes. Um, they were essentially running a Ponzi scheme the way they were charging memberships, right? Okay. Um, so, yeah. Uh, at its peak in the 1920s, KKK membership exceeded 4 million nationwide. Um I still think today it is the most um, um, violent. Well, hard telling. I mean, these people know nothing but violence, right? They see another person and their first instinct is to rob or murder, right? Um, so yeah, it all get organized by Atlanta, Georgia. What's going on in Atlanta? Um, got the CDC down in Atlanta. Got all this stuff going in Atlanta. Black people being hung all over the place in Atlanta. Lynchings. Um, so I think that's about all I have to say. Um, I think that if you want to look into stuff, look into Reconstruction, okay? Reconstruction, the timeline of the post-Civil War era. This is what I believe that this whole movie was making up. 
So I don't believe whatever happened during Reconstruction probably happened. This movie is their version of it, right? And if you watch the movie, which I will be looking forward to watching it today, um, and the Klan was also, am I getting my groups mixed up? Um, oh, also they had a Ku Klux Kitties, KKK, Little Known Youth Movement. In 1924, a group of 10 children and hundreds of spectators gathered for a mass baptism. This was no mere religious rite. As the children and their parents moved toward the clergyman, they were enveloped by 50 men in white robes. They were the children of the Ku Klux Klan. Um, so I think I'm going to be closing off. I will be getting back to, hopefully, this ICE, this S business, because um, that's where the significance in all this is, is this ISIS business. Um, where they have us with this ISIS business um, has to do with the um, um, birth of this nation. There, there's something here with this ISIS business, which also leads us around the dates of they probably did some sort of takeover. And I had something else I was going to say here, um, and I lost it, so I am going to um, close off for now. Um, I think it gets a picture. I, uh, I'm pretty sure that the Ku Klux Klan is really these people, right? Can you think of anybody else? I mean, they're using the same logo. <clears throat> the only difference in the Ku Klux Klan logo is they put a drop of blood in the center of the Red Cross. Uh, but other than that, I feel very comfortable saying that I believe 100% that the people behind the Ku Klux Klan are, in fact, the elites, the Saturnists, the people who were in charge, the ruling class. They were the ones who came up with the idea to so-called free the slaves, which were, I'm not really sure they were, well, anyway. <laughs> they were the ones who came up with the Civil War, right? They were the ones who came up with this movie to reconstruct it in our minds. And they did a lot of movie stuff <clears throat> to teach us about history and stuff. So the fact that the Ku Klux Klan gets promoted by a movie should come as no surprise to us, right? So... With all this talk going on now, with this ESG, this social stuff, make everybody equal, and now they're talking about, in San Francisco, there's all this talk about reparations for black people, because supposedly when blacks were freed, fake freed, not really freed, but freed, uh, they uh, were supposed to get, what, a mule and 40 acres? Well, they never got anything, right, except for prison time. So uh, now they're talking about all this reparation stuff now. And here's what I would like you to focus on. The reason they're likely talking about reparations and all this stuff right now and making everybody equal and, oh, let's be, let's be nice to all races. Let, let's make up for our past. Now, remember, I am an old white woman, okay? I had nothing to do with any of this stuff, okay? But they certainly seem to want to drag us into this by, all oh, the boomers did this, the boomers did that. It is all their method, and it is 100% to divide I'm not sure what I'm doing here but I continue to cut myself off um, what I was saying is that it's all been about divide and conquer right splice us up into different groups I mean how much more obvious we have a two party system we have black people we have white people we have this we have that everything is meant to divide and conquer and unfortunately it has worked very well so 
now that we know a lot more about these people, I have a clip I'd like to play for you, and um, then I will be back, hopefully, with this ISIS stuff. And if you've ever baked a potato, what's going on now is this, is that you want to bake a potato in a microwave. You want to, If you're going to cook it for five minutes, you want to stop after the first couple minutes because the radiation, it keeps cooking, right? Well, that's what's going on with me now is that it's entered my insides. It, it's entered all of our insides. The cats, the dogs, everybody's got it, right? And what it's basically doing now is it's going after our soft tissue. So it's, it's collapsing the system. And it's interesting because certain parts of the day, I'll start to feel like I'm radiating heat. In other words, and it's been really cold here, but now it's spring, so it's going to get better. But radiating heat, like from my back and chest area, like it radiates heat. And I'm starting to exhibit burn signs on the outside of my chest area. And I put pictures over on the website in the blog, B-L-O-G section. But yeah, so I'm starting to feel like I'm some sort of baked potato that's radiating out because I'll start to feel like my face is really hot and I'll look and like one whole part of my face is radiated red. So yeah, it, it's coming de definitely from the inside out. So enough of that. So what I will be doing is I'd like you to listen to this greatest American president's speeches. And now that we know that these are all in fact psychopaths, liars, and royal actors, maybe this will help you to put them in better perspective. So let's take a look. First one is FDR, okay? Oh, it would help if I plugged the thing in, wouldn't it? Oh, geez. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Let's see here. Okay, I think I can have it plugged in now. Okay, the first one's going to be FDR. And remember, in the just today, I was talking about how they rode around getting ideas about what would make us afraid, right? So here we go. Even I can't screw this up that badly. Let me see here. This is, <laughs> like I was trying to say, it's kind of hard to explain, but certain little things kind of go off track in your brain. Um, this is why I stopped doing live shows on YouTube because I felt like um, a lot of people were confused about why we just, why I wouldn't continue recording on YouTube. Well, because I didn't feel like I could really trust myself <laughs> with a microphone. <laughs> okay, so let's see here. Let's see if I can get this to work this time. Everything is on. Okay, now this is getting crazy. Even I can't blow it this badly now, can I? Okay, now, let me try one more time here. When things don't work, you take a breath and you keep moving. Now, why, oh why, let me see here. Now, I'm getting some weird thing here. Okay, let me see here. 
called Greatest Recorded Speeches in American History. I can't be this big of an idiot now, can I? Okay, let me get back to my speaker that no one likes. Okay, let me see here. Okay. Now it's really going amok. Okay, I'm going to play the speaker that no one likes. Because <laughs> I can't get that one to work. I have two speakers in my little arsenal here. and really a high-tech operation here. Let me see if this will work. December 7th, 1941. Wait a second. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. Yesterday, December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. A short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima and destroyed its usefulness to the enemy. That bomb has more power than 20,000 tons of TNT. The Japanese began the war from the air at Pearl Harbor. They have been repaid many-fold, and the end is not yet. With this bomb, we have now added a new and revolutionary increase in destruction to supplement the growing power of our armed forces. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. The potential for the disastrous rise of misplaced power exists and will persist. We must never let the weight of this combination endanger our liberties or democratic process. I do not believe that any of us would exchange places with any other people or any other generation. The energy, the faith, the devotion which we bring to this endeavor will light our country and all who serve it. And the glow from that fire can truly light the world. And so, my fellow Americans,
constitutional issue here. The command of the Constitution is plain. There is no moral issue. It is wrong, deadly wrong, to deny any of your fellow Americans the right to vote in this country. To know war is to know that there is still madness in this world. There are poor to be lifted up, and there are cities to be built, and there's a world to be helped. Yet, we do what we must. I am hopeful, and I will try with best I can with everything I've got to end this battle and to return our sons to their desires. Yet, as long as others will challenge America's security and test the dearness of our beliefs with fire and steel, then we must stand or see the promise of two centuries tremble. All we say to America is be true to what you said on paper. But somewhere I read of the freedom of assembly, somewhere I read of the freedom of speech, somewhere I read of the freedom of press. What's the old saying? If you don't succeed, keep trying. <laughs> I bring that to a new level. Okay, as I constantly knock myself up. See, here is why I think this stuff could get really tricky because um, let's say that you go in to see a medical doctor or somebody and you would be complaining about things that I've been doing, you know, cutting yourself off, doing things like that. Well, I think you might find yourself in some serious trouble because they would start to define it as um, maybe needing to lock you up. So let's keep moving on this clip because I think <clears throat> I would really encourage you to keep listening because you will see how the manipulation has worked and an interesting group of young black people um, on YouTube have been talking about standing up and speaking out and um, they're doing some interesting things. They stood up to um, Nancy Pelosi was recently at a um, event in New York and um, what they did was there were three of them <coughs> excuse me what they did was they um, stood up at different times. First one stood up and yelled something and then the one that I thought was really funny, well, they were all really good. I, I applaud anybody making any effort to do anything, okay? So anyway, so the one guy was really funny. He stood up and he said, because what, what, what would they do? First guy stands up, yells out their message. They come and take his microphone away and haul him off. Next person pops up at a different part of the room. And this one kid was really funny. He said, I thought I came here to see a war criminal, but instead all I see is a sad old drunk. I think these people have some very serious uh, drug and alcohol problems. I mean, just look at look at the look at the stuff that they do, like the stock market and stuff. That that is gambling, right? That that is called a gambling addiction. But anyway, let me continue on with this clip here. Somewhere I read of the freedom of press. Somewhere I read that the greatness of America is the right to. Oh, but what I was starting to say there was these young black kids, this was just in the last couple of days, they said that all of their black leaders were assassinated by the FBI because that's all come out, right? Right. So people, they said, well, maybe that's why nobody stands up because they killed all of our main people. Well, Martin Luther King was a sellout and 
a tranny and maybe not even black. But yeah, so that's how they do. They act like they killed off these leaders and that kind of has kept people quiet for generations, right? Wouldn't keep me quiet, but it certainly has kept a lot of people quiet. So let me let me be quiet and continue on. supposedly the night before he was killed. <laughs> We've been so played. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. Very sad news for all of you, and I think uh, sad news for all of our fellow citizens and people who love peace all over the world. And that is that the Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight in Memphis, Tennessee. Martin Luther King dedicated his life to love and to justice between fellow human beings. He died in the cause of that effort. For those of you who are black and are tempted to build with, be filled with hatred and distrust of the injustice of such an act against all white people, I would only say that I can also feel in my own heart the same kind of feeling. I had a member of my family killed, but he was killed by a white man. But we have to make an effort in the United States. We have to make an effort to understand, to get beyond or go beyond these rather difficult times. A favorite poem, I, my favorite poet was Aeschylus. He once wrote, Even in our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our own despair, against our will, comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. What we need in the United States is not division. What we need in the United States is not hatred. What we need in the United States is not violence and lawlessness but is love and wisdom and compassion toward one another. 
feeling of justice toward those who still suffer within our country, whether they be white or whether they be black. Throughout the long and difficult period of Watergate, I have felt it was my duty to persevere, to make every possible effort to complete the term of office to which you elected. In the past few days, however, it has become evident to me that I no longer have a strong enough political base in the Congress to justify continuing that effort. Therefore, I shall resign the presidency effective at noon tomorrow. Vice President Ford will be sworn in as president at that hour in this office. Today is a day for mourning and remembrance. Nancy and I are fain to record the tragedy of the shuttle challenge. We know we share this pain with all of the people of our country. This is truly a national loss. We've never had a tragedy like this. And perhaps we've forgotten the courage it took for the crew of the shuttle. But they, the Challenger 7, were aware of the dangers and overcame them and did their jobs brilliantly. We mourn seven heroes. And I want to say something to the school children of America who were watching the live coverage of the shuttle's takeoff. I know it's hard to understand. See, this is the part that really gets me. During, <laughs> during 9-11, Bush had that fake meeting with school children, what was it, in Florida? And uh, <laughs> set up all those kids to sit there in fear, thinking the whole country was being blown up. And here again, Reagan is going after the kids, too. <laughs> because on this, he's talking about the space shuttle Challenger, and they put a teacher <laughs> on the space shuttle. <laughs> Boy, these people are too much. And we know that space is, of course, fake, right? This is just all another way to rob the treasury and traumatize the kiddos. But okay, here we go. Understand that sometimes painful things like this happen. <laughs> oh, it's all on. part of the process of exploration and discovery. It's all part of taking a chance and expanding man's horizons. <laughs> the future doesn't belong to the faint-hearted. It belongs to the brave. The Challenger crew is pulling us into the future and we'll continue to follow. There is one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable, that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Just two hours ago, Allied Air Forces began an attack on military targets in Iraq and Kuwait. These attacks continue as I speak. Ground forces are not engaged. This conflict started August 2nd when the dictator of Iraq invaded a small and helpless neighbor. Kuwait, a member of the Arab League and a member of the United Nations, was crushed, its people brutalized. Five months ago, Saddam Hussein started this cruel war against Kuwait. Tonight, the battle has been joined. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Vice President, Members of Congress, honored guests, 
my fellow Americans. We are fortunate to be alive <laughs> at this moment in history. I'm sorry. I'm sitting here <laughs> trying to get something to eat. It's funny because I'm having trouble eating, but the dog and the cats are eating fine, but <laughs> I'm sorry, but what he said. Sorry, but it struck me as very funny. <laughs> Never before has our nation enjoyed at once so much prosperity and social progress with so little internal crisis and so few external threats. Never before have we had such a blessed opportunity and therefore such a profound obligation to build the more perfect union of our founders' dreams. Yeah, white people. We began the new century with over 20... How many, how many, <clears throat> have you ever noticed how many people in the Middle East are white? I'll give you a minute to think about it. <laughs> is anybody in the Middle East white? I don't think they are. The U.S. is now in Syria. They're <coughs> occupying a third of Syria. <coughs> what third are they occupying, you ask? <coughs> well, the part that has the oil. I'll keep going. <coughs> million new jobs the fastest economic growth in more than 30 years, the lowest unemployment rates in 30 years, the lowest poverty rates in 20 years, the lowest African-American and Hispanic unemployment rates on record, the first back-to-back -back surpluses in 42 years, and next month, America will achieve the longest period of economic growth in our entire history. Good evening. <laughs> Just moments ago, I spoke with George W. Bush and congratulated him on becoming the 43rd President of the United States. And I promised him that I wouldn't call him back this time. Now the U.S. Supreme Court has spoken. Let there be no doubt, while I strongly disagree with the court's decision, <laughs> I accept it. I accept the finality of this outcome, which will be ratified next Monday in the Electoral College. And tonight, for the sake of our unity of the people and the strength of our democracy, I offer my concession. This is a good one when um, Bush went to 9-11, when he sat there with a the megaphone. I did a show about it. Um, I don't know if it's live anywhere or not, but I should... I'll make it live over on YouTube if it's not. But um, it's, it's kind of an interesting story because it all circled around this fireman named Bob. <laughs> the guy he's standing next to, his name is Bob, and he's a fireman. It's kind of a funny story, but yeah, they really weave some nutso stories into this. You know, when he was sitting there with the school children when supposedly 9-11 hit, he supposedly fake reading with the school children. What was he fake reading? He was reading a story about Billy the Goat. <laughs> The goat, okay? Their, their favorite thing, the goat, right? He's reading to the kids about Billy the goat, and that was George W. Bush, so let's keep going here. We mourn the loss of thousands of our citizens. I can hear you! Yeah, because I'm standing right next to them. That's how I could hear them. <laughs>
9-11, um, it was the biggest, at the time, record drop of records, you know, albums. And the albums had things like blown up um, buildings on it. It dropped on the day 9-11 hit. Now, these things took months to plan, right? And then they act like, oh, we didn't know. So, yeah, so this is all, all planned. I think ever since we were born on this place, it's been planned. And all those watching tonight from beyond our shores, from parliaments and palaces, to those who are huddled around radios in the forgotten corners of the world, our stories are singular, but our destiny is shared. And a new dawn of American leadership is at hand. To those, to those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. For white people. That's the true genius of America, that America can change. Our union can be perfected. What we've already achieved gives us hope for what we can and must achieve tomorrow. This election had many firsts and many stories that will be told for generations, but one that's on my mind tonight is about a woman who cast her ballot in Atlanta. She is a lot like the millions of others who stood in line to make their voice heard in this election, except for one thing. Ann Nixon Cooper is 106 years old. She was born just a generation past slavery, a time when there were no cars on the road or planes in the sky, when someone like her couldn't vote for two reasons, because she was a woman and because of the color of her skin. And tonight, I think about all that she's seen throughout her century in America, the heartache and the hope, the struggle and the progress, the times we were told that we can't, and the people who pressed on with that American creed, yes, we can. At a time when women's voices were silenced and their hopes dismissed, she lived to see them stand up and speak out and reach for the ballot, yes, we can. When there was despair in the Dust Bowl and depression across the land, she saw a nation conquer fear itself with a new deal, new jobs, a new sense of common purpose. Yes, we can. When the bombs fell on our harbor and tyranny threatened the world, she was there to witness a generation rise to greatness and a democracy was saved. Yes, we can. She was there for the buses in Montgomery the hoses in Birmingham, a bridge in Selma, and a preacher from Atlanta who told the people that we shall overcome. Yes, we can. A man touched down on the moon. A wall came down in Berlin. A world was connected by our own science and imagination. And this year, in this election, 
She touched her finger to a screen and cast her vote. Because after 106 years in America, through the best of times and the darkest of hours, she knows how America can change. Yes, we can. America, we have come so far. We have seen so much, but there's so much more to do. So tonight, let us ask ourselves, if our children should live to see the next century, if my daughters should be so lucky to live as long as Ann Nixon Cooper, what change will they see? What progress will we have made? This is our chance to answer that call. This is our moment. This is our time to put our people back to work and open doors of opportunity for our kids, to restore prosperity and promote the cause of peace, to reclaim the American dream and reaffirm that fundamental truth that out of many we are one, that while we breathe we hope, and where we are met with cynicism and doubt and those who tell us that we can't, we will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Quite a, quite a guy, wasn't he? Or still is. He was, uh, I think he kicked in the transgender thing because people made a lot of jokes about Michelle or Michael Obama. Uh, <laughs> well, you have to see the two of them from behind. Um, yeah, he was pretty good. He went on all this talk about hope and peace and just bombed the crap out of the Middle East. People there will never, never live to see the day of time. So anyway, so I'm going to be... I think actually this time, I think I actually am going to be closing up this sideshow here. And I have picked out something that will just make sense. This is nothing but a big creepy circus. circus is coming to town. The circus is coming to town. That's why we... For some of the, you that are younger, um, what they did was um, circuses and carnivals were really a big thing in this country. Um, when I was selling on eBay, I used to look for things. Um, when you would go to a circus or a carnival, they would have all these games and tricks people could play to win toys and prizes and worthless things. <laughs> we're still doing the same thing, right? <laughs> Except for now, people are doing them from the comfort of their home, <laughs> buying on Amazon instead of picking up cheap carnival toys. But yeah, carnivals were a huge, huge, huge deal. I made some good money off of those old carnival things. But yeah, carnivals were the big thing. And I think carnivals were probably more um, more real than all those so-called world's fairs and stuff. But anyway, so I am going to close out for now. I'm going to come back, hopefully, with this ISIS business to wrap up this show. Of who are these people? I think we've got the answer. I just need to get to that show. I was going to do that show along with this show today, but I'm feeling a little bit fuzzy. So what I'm going to be doing is closing off for now. And um, 
be safe out there. Try to think of the most vulnerable. If we think we have it bad, there's somebody who's got it a whole lot worse. So let's keep our eyes open for that and keep our eyes on that ball and try to stand in some sort of unity. And try to do what I do. When things get really bad around here, I tell myself that we're tough game show players around here, okay? We're not going to just get knocked off the game board by a bunch of lunatics with radiation. We are tough game board players in this house, okay? No matter what comes at us, we are tough, okay? We're going to keep playing this game out. I didn't know 25 years ago if I'd be able to keep playing the game because of all the different things that happened to me with their, you know, the pills and all that kind of stuff. And now that the radiation hasn't stopped me, I feel confident that we will get this to the end of who these people are. So I encourage you to download as much of my work as you can. And just remember, just keep your eye on the bigger picture. I feel like the bigger picture is to be in service to the most vulnerable, not to be in service to the almighty dollar. But these are individual choices. So be safe out there and goodbye for now.